Well, good morning, church. What an awesome time of worship and love, Gary and Linda, their family, for being here today. We love partnering with you guys, love hearing how God is using that partnership for the gospel in Haiti, and we celebrate in that. Uh, so today, church, we're going to finish our study in, the ch- in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. So if you'll find your, your place there, the book of Acts chapter 16, this is going to bring us to a pretty good stopping point today, and uh, we'll take a couple of months after, um, after today as a break from the book of Acts, and next week we're going to begin uh, a series of sermons on Advent. At the Christmas season, we want to focus and retell uh, some stories throughout Scripture of miraculous birth. Uh, There's lots of those stories throughout Scripture, and each of them are meant to point us to Christ. And so we're going to begin that next week. I'm really excited to sit under the preaching of some of our elders, and Tucker's going to kick us off preaching next week. And I'm so excited to, uh, to sit and learn from these brothers that I love so much. So in case you're wondering why I won't be preaching over the next month, there's a couple of reasons. First, uh, my wife is about to pop with uh, babies. And uh, so we, we will soon have our hands full with five children and our elders are gracious enough to give me some time uh, out, out of not preaching and just focus on the family for a little bit. So I'm very thankful for that. And then secondly, it's really good for us as a church to hear the word of God and to be taught the word of God from uh, a variety of our leaders, our elders, to, uh, to be able to speak the truth to us. And so I know you'll support these brothers as they prepare each week to bring a message to us that will exalt Christ and edify and equip the church. And so uh, I know you'll be prepared for that. Well, that being said, uh, let's dig into God's word this morning. Uh, you'll remember last week uh, we're following the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas, and but last week... Paul and Barney had a really rough breakup, and they, they split ways and uh, div- decided to separate. What we saw is that God used their division uh, to multiply his mission. And we see uh, that Paul recruited Silas to join him, and along the way they recruited Timothy, kind of picked him up, brought him to the mission. What we'll see in our study of the scriptures today is a couple of things. Here's what we're going to find. God guides those who go. And I love that Pastor Gary mentioned that, Russ mentioned that as we sung, we sung those truths, but God guides us as we go, that he opens the hearts of the lost, that he delivers the oppressed. We sung about, I once was a prisoner, but now I'm not because of Jesus. And and lastly, that he rescues the prisoner from sin. So all this is in one chapter. And we're going to get a glimpse of some of the incredible stories in chapter 16 that broke the ground on a new church. The church in Philippi is being um, formed and established as a brand new church. It's being planted and it's being planted through some miraculous stories of salvation. So church, um, Acts 16, would you stand to your feet as we read God's word together? Picking up in verse six. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us and saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to stay, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, returned, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. That's amazing. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights. He rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. How beautiful. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. 
Then he brought them out up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Lord Jesus, this is your word. And we ask today that you teach us from it. Beautiful truths that will uh, bolster us in our faith and equip us for our mission. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. What we've just read is the story of how God began a new gospel work in the church among the Philippians. Paul and the guys there are doing the work, but God displays his control throughout this whole chapter. In verses 6 through 10, I don't know if you noticed it, but the full trinity is on display and is involved in steering these disciple makers to the exact city, the exact time, and the exact people that God had planned. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, forbids them from entering a city. Then the Spirit of Jesus stops them from entering another city. And then God sends a vision of a man from Macedonia to Paul. They received that vision and they concluded that God was leading them there instead of here or there. They didn't plan it that way. God did. Our God has a plan. Amen. So I titled this message today. God has a plan. Do you believe that? I mean, really, when your life seems Out of control. Do you trust that God is still in control? When things seem so out of place and out of whack and you just can't get a a grip on things, do you believe that God has not lost control? Our God has a plan. And as we seek to be a church on his mission, I want us to see some truths in this text that will bolster our faith and will steady our resolve. The first thing I want us to know is this. God guides as we go. God guides as we go. In Matthew 28, one of the last things Jesus says to his disciples, we call it the Great Commission, but it's really a beautiful promise. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. And then he promises, and as you go, I will be with you always, sometimes establishing your steps and sometimes establishing your stops. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. God does establish our steps and sometimes 
He establishes our stops. God can stop you in your tracks. I'm thankful he has for me on many occasions. I've tried to open doors and he has stopped them. And I'm thankful. Sometimes retrospect is helpful to look back and go, Ooh, God, you saved me from a big mess. That was going to be a mess. And you, you brought me back on path and I'm thankful. Paul wanted to speak the word in Asia. That's a good thing, right? But it wasn't a God thing in this moment and at this time. Then they tried to go to Bithynia to plant a church there. But Jesus would not allow it. This is amazing. I want you to let this sink in. Is that sometimes, many times, God is directing your path by stopping you from doing things. Paul made plans. Jesus changed them. Paul tried a second route. Nope. This is how we learn to trust our God. Church. Let's surrender our plans to God's plan. And that's a daily journey. Learning to accept his no. Do you believe God has a plan? It's really a funny thing when we make plans and then we think or believe that we have control over the outcome of those plans. Um, Last year, I'm going to kind of tell my age here, but that's all right. Last year. I was at my high school reunion, my 20-year high school reunion. It just sounds old saying that. Uh, But I was at my 20-year high school reunion last year and uh, was talking with one of my classmates. And uh, she's this really sweet girl, but she was pregnant. And we were laughing together. And she said, she said, for sure, like for sure, for sure, I've got to be the last one of our graduating class to have a baby. And I looked at her and I was like, yeah, for sure. (laughs) She has uh, since sent me some messages, uh, you know, laughing at me and at my expense, because now here we are uh, about to have babies. Right. So here's the reality. Um, God has a plan, even when it's not our plan. People who see my wife and I out and about and uh, or see us on social media Or they find out that we're expecting twins and I'm nearly 40 years old and they go, wow, get this question. So was this planned? (laughs) And Lauren and I have learned to say, well, not by us. God has a plan, even when it's not our plan. And he calls us as we live on mission for him to surrender and lay down our plans and surrender to his. His are much better. Our God has a plan and he establishes our steps. Walking with God is walking by faith. And what that means is to trust him. The proverb says it this way. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will Direct your paths as you faithfully obey God. He will guide your steps. I love this truth, church. We should rest in this as we go. God guides. Secondly, Jesus. Now hear this. Jesus opens the heart of the lost. You'll notice in verse 14 and 15, the story about Lydia 
is being told. And Luke is intentional when he emphasizes the activity of God as it relates to salvation. The scripture Luke writes and he says, the Lord opened her heart. Church, it is so reassuring that the work of changing hearts is not up to me and it's not up to you. Jesus does open heart surgery. Jesus does it. Lydia was a worshiper of God, but she didn't have a relationship with Christ. She was religious. She strikes me as a a get it done kind of person, very driven. She was a successful businesswoman. She's been selling um, very expensive items. I don't know. Purple in this day was um, a a rare color. It's hard to cultivate the dye to make purple items, but she had managed to do it. And she had a successful business. It was the color of royalty. So her items, her, her, her products were not cheap. But she came to this prayer meeting down by the water, probably to check a box off of her long to do list. But Jesus met her there. And through Paul's teaching, Christ radically changed her life. The Lord gave Paul a vision of a man from Macedonia, right? So Paul's probably expecting to encounter some man, a Macedonian man. But his first person to encounter that God is going to open her heart to the gospel is a woman at a prayer meeting. This may have been a surprise for Paul, but it was God's plan. Do you remember when Jesus led his disciples on what they thought was a detour through Samaria? They were headed one way and he said, well, we need to go through Samaria. John chapter four, he travels into Samaria and he stops by a well. He stopped there because he had a meeting. He had he had planned a meeting. He needed to go through Samaria because there was a woman there that he needed to meet and she needed to have her heart open to the gospel. And he was there to do it. Had the Lord not opened Lydia's heart. Now, listen, had Jesus not opened Lydia's heart, she would have rejected Paul's message. She would have continued to embrace the idea that she could check enough boxes and do enough things to make herself right with God. The message of grace that Paul comes to preach, it's good news. But the Bible says to the world, it's foolishness. I hope we know that grace speaks of God's goodness, not our own. And so it's a contrary message to what the world believes. The world likes to believe I can be good enough. I can do good enough. I can, I can, I can. And the gospel says you cannot. But he did. That's the grace of the gospel. And to receive grace, your heart must be open to receive your own need for grace. Wickedness has to be exposed within you. It requires open heart surgery that only God can do. Salvation is a change of heart. It's a change of loves. Jesus said it this way in John 3. Speaking of himself, he said, light has come into the world. But people loved darkness rather than the light. Because their works are evil. Salvation is a change of loves and it requires open heart surgery that only God can do. He must open your heart. Listen to the beautiful promise of God. It's a prophetic promise in Ezekiel chapter 36. 
God says this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Ezekiel 36. This is a promise of God and it relates to how he opens the heart for salvation. Life change, life change is only possible through heart change. Lydia had, a, had, she experienced heart change. The Lord had opened her heart, but that inward transformation had outward results. What, what happened after Lydia was redeemed, after she was born again? What happened? Well, she was baptized. That's publicly identifying with Christ and his people. She was baptized. Then she took the message of Christ, this message of grace to her household and spoke it to people in her home, many of whom were also baptized. This is now personal passion for this gospel. So public identification, personal passion. And then she opens her home. And leverages her resources for the mission. Now it's a priority shift. Now her business has served, is serving to meet the needs of gospel expansion. Her big, beautiful home that um, used to satisfy her now is serving for the gathering of a new people. The church of Jesus. We're going to find later in the New Testament that this church begins meeting in her home. She opens her home. God opened her heart. She opened her home. There's no such thing as an unchanged Christian. There is no such thing as an unchanged Christian. When God opens your heart, he changes your life. What's keeping you from giving your heart and life to Jesus? What's stopping you from surrendering to Christ? I want to encourage you with the third truth from this text. Jesus has power over any other master. Jesus has power over any other master. We're introduced to a slave girl who uh, met with these guys. They met her on their way to this prayer meeting, but then she started following them around and she was announcing, making announcements all the time about these guys are Jews. They're here to tell us about Jesus and salvation. And she's making all these announcements and what she's saying is true. But um, Jesus doesn't like it when um, demons speak truth. He doesn't like it when truth is spoken by one who doesn't receive it themselves. And so Jesus, throughout his life on earth, was known when the demons would see Christ, they would call him, oh, son of David, and, and he would silence them. Similar story here, Paul and Silas put up with this demonic uh, spirit for quite a while, some days. And then Paul, being greatly annoyed, finally turns to this demonic spirit 
and in the name of Jesus, cast it out. But I want us to see that this slave girl has two masters. She's spiritually enslaved to a demonic spirit. And she is owned and used by evil men. She's twice enslaved. But this girl, although she's powerless against her masters, one command from Jesus Christ and she is set totally free. Her owners recognize immediately that she is free from an evil spirit and they will no longer be able to abuse her for their profit. She's no longer useful to them. And here's what we need to learn is that Jesus has power over every other master. He said to us, you can only serve one master. You cannot have two. There's nothing that enslaves you that Jesus cannot set you free of. Do you believe that? Every week, I'm thrilled that we have a gathering here of people who um, oftentimes feel trapped by addiction or by hurts or habits or whatever it may be, unforgiveness, bitterness. But they feel trapped and enslaved. And every week, week after week, Stephen, I see Eddie here. Good to see you, brother. These, these, Stephen and Lou and our church, here's what we're speaking to a world of people who feel trapped. Jesus has the power over that master. Whatever it is that enslaves you or traps you, you can be free of it. In Jesus Christ. In salvation. Church, we go from being slaves of sin to sons of God. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. That's right. Liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. These men who held this woman in bondage. As soon as she's set free, they turn their evil against Paul and Silas. And ultimately, Paul and Silas suffer unjustly. But remember, the theme of this passage is God's control over our mission. He, he guides us as we go. And I, I want us to see that God's sovereign guidance isn't limited by our suffering, albeit unjustly. God sometimes... Displays his power by shielding us from suffering. Other times he chooses to be our refuge in suffering. And sometimes he chooses to display his power by being our rescue through suffering. Now we never know which it's going to be. We just trust his leadership as we walk on in faith with him. We trust that if suffering come our way, that our God is going to be faithful. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Let me encourage you to see suffering in light of God's plan. Paul and Silas are so mindful of God's complete control that they don't panic while they're in prison. No. They pray and they praise God. Wow, I'm blown away by this kind of faith. It's how they fight their battles, right? We sang, this is how I fight my battles. We learned that from 
the Bible. We learn this is the way we fight against evil. We fight with praise and supplication and prayer to our God. We, we know who's in control. It's Him. I'm blown away by their faith. I'm blown away that they trust in Christ enough to pray and sing praise in the midnight hours of deep, dark suffering. These disciples had a firm grasp on this final truth. So number four, Jesus not only has the power over every other master, but Jesus gives true freedom. I want us to think for a minute because on the surface, it looks like Paul and Silas are the ones who are in prison. But that's not what we see in this text. Paul and Silas were arrested. They were beaten. They were stripped of their clothes. They were thrown into the dungeon of this prison. They were put in stocks. I did some reading this week on what that means, and it is excruciating. Uh, They spread their legs really far, clamped them in this uh, wooden stock, and then pulled it by chains upward. These men are hanging upside down. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Only thing resting on the floor is the shoulders in their face. And it's usually in the dungeon resting in some really nasty stuff. But these men are praying and praising God. It's no wonder that all the other people in jail are astounded. The Bible says that the other people in prison are listening to their worship. Somehow. They pray and they worship. The way these guys handle hardship is so compelling to their fellow prisoners that when God unfastens all the bonds, all the chains are broken, no one ran to escape. It's because they had an earthly or they had a joy that no earthly suffering could snuff out. The jailer, on the other hand, though, He lived in such fear of his superiors that when he thought he failed his job, he pulled his sword and considered taking his own life. He knew that if he was caught in this failure, it was going to be the end of him. And he thought, I'll handle this quickly rather than through terrible suffering. Paul and Silas, though behind bars, were actually free. While this jailer, though outside of a jail, was in his own kind of prison. Paul and Silas and the others in jail, they waited. The stocks, the bonds are loose, the chains are broken, but they did not run. Why? Because they knew God had sent them to this jail for such a time as this. They knew this jailer and these uh, prison mates, these inmates needed to hear the gospel They didn't run for earthly freedom. They had spiritual freedom already, and that was enough. They stayed behind to offer the kind of freedom that only Jesus can give. This act of compassion paired with the gospel they'd been preaching throughout their suffering. It led this jailer to ask a pivotal question. What must I do to be saved? That question seems to come out of nowhere. But the spirit who's been navigating this whole journey, the spirit of our God 
has been working this man up to this very moment. And we now see a heart that Christ has opened to the gospel. His heart was being opened to hear and believe. He asks, what must I do? And Paul says, you can't do anything but believe on what Jesus has done. That is the gospel message. And just like Lydia, he and his household end up believing in Christ and being baptized into a new church family. Now, let me ask you, if you were sent to plant a church, would you go down to the riverside and, and think, you know, it would be strategically a great plan to go down by the river. There's some ladies praying. That's where we'll start. There was a demon possessed girl. We'll try to cast that demon out. Then I think we'll go to jail. This doesn't strike me as a good earthly plan, but this is where we remember and we recall that God is the one in control. He's guiding us as we go. And even when things don't look right, he's in control. Now, listen to this truth. Jesus can set you free. No matter the sin that holds you in bondage, Jesus is greater. In Christ is true freedom. It's the kind of freedom that circumstances don't determine. It's the kind of freedom that even if you're in chains, you're still free. It's the kind of freedom that liberates your heart to be filled with rest and joy, even when the world around you is chaotic and crazy. Salvation is not about what you can do. It's about believing in what Christ has done. Church, there is rest in Christ. If you feel out of control, rest because he is in control. If you are struggling to find joy, there's joy in Christ. I love the beautiful stories of the start of the church in Philippi. And I love to just imagine that as Paul wrote the letter back to the Philippians. I love to imagine that when Paul wrote this letter back. Maybe that jailer opens the scroll, the letter. He says, church in Lydia's home. Find, find a place. Paul has written us a letter. And the slave girl who was serving coffee and donuts, she's like, oh, shoot, we've got to hear this. All the other prisoner inmates are like, oh, this is going to be good. I remember Paul. This is going to be awesome. And they sit and they gather. This is the church that God has started in Philippi. And I want you to hear it. God rescues all kinds of people. Rich businesswomen, demon-possessed slave girls, Gentile prison guards. God is rescuing all kinds of people to be a part of a new kind of kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if we walk on his mission, he will guide us as we go for his glory and our good.